Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Dawson, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I wanted to have you on. I've been kind of bugging you about doing this uh, for anybody listening, just to, to get them to be aware of who you are. You are my niece's partner. You guys have been together now for how long? Like over two years. Yeah, quite. A, it seems like longer. It seems like you've been a part of the family for quite a while. So uh you are an artist and I've, I, I came and you were selling your guys' art at Alton Baker Park for a fundraiser. What was that for? It was for, uh, animals. It was for animals, like yeah. animal shelters. So that was really cool. And, uh, I've been asking you to do this because one of the things that I, I, my goal with these episodes about the youth vote is to spotlight young people in the community that are starting to get very vocal politically. And just by becoming your friend on social media, I've read a lot of your lengthy uh, rants, whatever you want to call your, you call them rants, uh, but they're so thought provoking and so thorough. And what I really am inspired by with your words is that though you have strong opinions, it doesn't come across as that you're only thinking about what you want. Like you're thinking about what would be constructive for everybody or, or for a collective majority. So that's really cool. Uh, and you know, today, your makeup is modest, but you're known for being very over, over the top with it, theatrical kind of stuff. And, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and self-expression and fashion and that kind of thing. Because when I had first was aware of you, my niece started posting pictures of you too. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot going on, <laughs> you know, which is really cool. And so at what age did you start to get really passionate about makeup and that kind of stuff? Uh, I would say that probably like 15 around there is when I first started getting into makeup. Um, a lot of it was like just starting with like eyeliner. Um, I was like getting really into like punk rock mm -hmm. and like the metal, you know, scene at that time. And so it was a way of sort of being like really rebellious while also starting to like explore the feminine aspects of my, of my personality. Yeah. And that's cool. And I noticed that on Facebook, your nickname is punk rocker. What is that from? Is that just kind of what you're known as? Uh, that's, uh, that's based off of a joke uh, between an old friend, Jacob, and I, um, where he just kind of said things that were, I guess, like somewhat ironic. Uh, mm -hmm. And he thought it was pretty funny if my nickname was just Punk Rocker, because it's kind of a generic title, if that makes any sense. Right. I had a buddy in high school. His name was Derek, and he used to call me Preppy, because I was kind of a skater kid, and I'd call him Hippie, because he was kind of not a hippie. <laughs> so 
it's kind of funny anyway so yeah so we're here to talk about politics uh you know you like i said you've gone on some lengthy you know rants that are really good uh I know that it's difficult to man manage, especially the current landscape because of uh, anxiety and all that kind of stuff. I know you've mentioned that where you're like, I got to take a step back from this and have came close to deleting Facebook and it's hard not, you know, to blame me there. I think we're all a little close to deleting it, but I appreciate you being willing to come here and talk to me about this and, and be open about some of your views. So let's just get right into it. So one of the things that you've addressed a lot is your issues with the two party system and how it seems like we have like a rivalry almost going on between two cultural extremes and not anything has nothing to do with actual strategy or fiscal, you know, decisions. And so I want you to speak on that a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I think that's, a, you know, exactly it. There's these two cultural systems, these two cultural belief systems. And, and you see in other countries, there's more of a, a fiscal difference between uh, between the right and the left, whereas in the United States, it's very much you have a lot of like, you know, kind of mostly religious uh, right wing people and then the more liberal, less religious uh, left side. Not that religion is like the biggest, you know, differing factor between them, but it obviously comes into, into play as far as the culture. And that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, I see a lot of aspects of especially, you know, fiscal Republican ideas that are actually beneficial to society. The idea of, you know, not letting the government, you know, control huge aspects of states uh, laws and the way that people, you know, go about their day-to-day -day life. The uh, idea of having lots of personal freedom without involvement of the government, that I think is good. Yeah, but the aspects where they force their cultural ideas upon you as well or they're basing laws off of their religion or, you know, personal beliefs. It doesn't really match up with what the science says. Right. Now, where would you say that you fall politically? Do you kind of fall more left, right? I mean, like you said, you kind of have, it's a spectrum, just like other things, you know, where it's like, you know, I think a lot of times you hear people say, uh, I'm socially left, probably because they're for marriage equality and things like that, you know? And then they're like, but I kind of want the government to, to kind of stay out of it and maybe more fiscal response, fiscally responsible, like Republicans should be. I mean, that's a whole different issue if we're talking about federal government because they just write blank checks. But where would you say that you fall on that spectrum? I mean, I would say that I definitely take most of my, you know, political influence from the left and like, uh, especially the socialist left, um, like Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, that sort of movement to change what the left currently is. Uh, but I, I do have, like, I, I grew up in a pretty conservative household. Uh, my mom is, I would say, more of a, like, fiscal Republican, but socially liberal. And so I do take a lot of influence from her as well. Because, you know, she agrees with marriage equality and, you know, basic human rights, but she also follows more of a... Um, I guess, Republican law. Right. And, and so, you know, talking to my niece, uh, your partner, that my, my father, her grandfather is very conservative as well. Now they have it completely, I'm sure you've met them and they've been very accepting and welcoming to the facts that you oh, have, yes. that you have an alternate kind of spectrum relationship, you know? So uh, I think that they've, 
they've shown me that they can have an open mind and that family comes first. And so I admire them for that. And so I'm sure, would you say that the reason that you kind of tend to fall that way is because of your lifestyle or orientation, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that that is why, because it feels like the umbrella can actually include you a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I think that I am alienated from like right-wing spaces because of being LGBTQ. I mean, I, I don't think that there's, it's getting better, but it's still pretty bad, the, the level of acceptance. I mean, I've been to a Trump rally, um, which was intense. Um, and I remember one of the things that really stood out to me is that there was a group of, I guess, you know, peaceful protesters that raised a uh, Mexican flag in support of their heritage. Um, be obviously, because, you know, Trump is famous for his immigration policies. And um, immediately they were grabbed by, you know, security guards and thrown out and the crowd ripped the flags out of their hands and tore them up and shit. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. It felt like I was in Nazi Germany. And I said that before he was elected. Sure. And it's not so much that I think that, you know, the people that follow him are bad people, but the bad qualities of them are brought out by his behavior. I completely agree. I, I think that it's important that we separate the Republican versus the MAGA because I think that the people that have followed him are victims. You know, I think that they've been conned and I think that they almost need love, you know, from, from everyone, not to, I'd say us, but I don't want to put it like it's a team because I can see that you're really trying to have empathy for people, even if you strongly vehemently disagree with them, because that's the, that's the whole reason that I do fall on the side that I fall on because it's either, I mean, right now with COVID and with Trump, you're seeing that there's only two kinds of people. There's, there's people that have empathy and there's people that don't. And that's that simple. I mean, it's pretty tough. Now, did you go to that Trump rally in Eugene? Uh, yeah, it was at the fairgrounds. Yeah, I was. Gonna... I went with my dad, who's a Trump supporter. Oh wow, that's pretty cool that you went. I thought about it, but I I decided after the fact that I didn't. I thought I would get too vote. I don't know. It just was. I mean, it was intimidating in some ways, and I'm sure it was an eye opener for you. Now, have you been to other political rallies? Unfortunately, I didn't get to go see Bernie when he came, um, because I was busy that day, but. So I, I guess the 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 only experience with a, like a legit uh, political rally that I've had is that Trump rally. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been to one, so I don't know. But I've seen Bernie twice. I saw him in Portland, where the bird landed. I saw Obama when he was he spoke at MacArthur Court, and that was a pretty incredible day. I have to admit, because it was the first time I felt optimism in the political sphere, because I turned eighteen when Bush was. Bush was elected when I was 18 years old. I didn't vote in 2000, to be honest. Have you voted yet? I don't know how old, like, have you voted once and it was the primary? Because you didn't vote in the 2016, correct? Yes. Well, I think, there you go. Okay. I, uh, I voted for Bernie in the Democratic primary for the first time. So that, that, that was uh, really good. Yeah. I mean, I, at that point, I had already known that he had dropped out but it still felt good to put my, my opinion and my voice in. Well, and you understand the significance in the primary and, and, you know, I'm, I know you educate yourself on this, these things. So you probably already know this, but you know that the delegates and how that process works, that at the conventions that voting for Bernie would send more delegates, there's more representation. So there's more conversation on hopefully encouraging some policy. Uh, I think one of the things that we learned 
this actually gets me to the next thing, the lesser of two evils argument. Uh, in the 2016 election, it was obvious to many, including myself, that you're choosing the lesser of two evils. I've never been a fan of Hillary, and I ended up not voting for her, and I regret it, you know? And so one of the things that you had told me that you'd like to talk about is what to do in that situation of the lesser of two evils. So speak on that a little bit. What do you think is the right move? Well, see, I, I think the interesting thing about that is that if you would have asked me that, like even a few months ago, I would have answered it very differently than I would now, because I was of the mindset that Biden and his behavior and his his policies uh, are just not something that I can get behind in a leader. Um, but within this, you know, time frame of watching Trump handle, you know, the pandemic and the uh, protesting in the worst way that he possibly could have handled it in every aspect of it. It's just, I mean, it's, it's clear that we wouldn't be able to get by with another four years of Trump. Right. I mean, so it, it really would destroy the country. So now nothing changed for you as far as Biden? Well, see with Biden, I, I don't think that my um, opinions of him politically have changed any, but he is undeniably less worse than Trump. And I would much <laughs> rather have him sure. as president than Trump, even though I don't want either of them. Yeah. And I, I do think that we're not voting for Biden. We're voting for the cabinet. We're voting for the Supreme Court. We're voting for, I mean, marriage equality. That's what's on the table. And it could be really bad. And not to mention our blood pressure. <laughs> you know, so, so are you are you there yet? If the if the election was today, would you be would you be voting for Biden? You know, I I think Hard. so. At this at this point, I mean, I don't want to. Like, I have like that moral voice in the back of my head that says, you know, don't do it. But also, if I don't vote for him, then I'm allowing this you know sort of Trump fascist regime to continue. Right. And it, I mean, it really is escalating towards that, in my opinion, to the point where, I mean, it's it's dangerous to keep him in office. Yeah. Is that kind of the thread, the common thread with your friends and your friend group? Uh, I know that there's people that vehemently say they, they're like, I cannot support him. And, you know, you can't argue with them. You're like, just just follow your gut, you know. But do you find that with the younger than, say, 24, I don't know, the crowd that you roll with? are they starting to kind of open up to that concept that like, look, we have to make a decision or is it str still strongly that they're just not, they're probably going to leave it blank. You know, I, I think that a lot of people, at least the friends that I'm interacting with are starting to get to the point where they're also considering voting Biden. I mean, I, I see, you know, political commentators all over that were, you know, hundred percent for Bernie, never vote for Biden that are now saying like, Oh, I would vote for Biden because it's so bad right now. Yeah. It's kind of hard because, you know, for the people that believe that Biden is guilty of a sexual assault, at least one, you know, then it's kind of hard for them to, for, for somebody, because I've been pretty open that I'm, it, to me, it's a no brainer. I've already made the mistake once. I, I've learned that when in the primary, you make your protest vote. In the general election, you have to pick the one that's closer to you. You know, that's just as simple as it is. And unfortunately, these are the two choices. And, but I think that for a lot of people that are strongly, maybe they were a victim of sexual assault themselves, 
they want women to be heard more. They don't want it to be overlooked or, you know, or victims, I should say, heard more because it happens to everyone across all spectrums, you know, but uh, they don't, I'm, I'd imagine it's very difficult for somebody to come to that conclusion that they're like, oh, it's easy for me to vote for Biden because that's bypassing that, that emotion. And that's a really difficult thing for me to swallow because I want to have empathy for people that that's how they view it, that that's the issue. My take on that whole situation with Tara Reid is why now? Why is this coming out now when he was the vice president for how long? And I know that that's kind of hard for people to wrap their head around because maybe the answer is the climate has changed, you know? And so what would you tell people if you're closer and you're actually finding yourself convincing someone, what would you tell someone in that? Is that kind of what, you know, it's a difficult thing. Just tell them to follow their heart. I mean, I, I definitely think that somebody should should follow their heart. I mean, the, the situation with Tara Reid and Biden is so difficult because it's all he said, she said. I mm. mean, and we have, you know, some evidence that she was talking about it at the time that it happened, which, you know, obviously gives her more credibility. But then there's also the stuff that's come up where she's, you know, obviously lied, most likely lied in court. Um, and that doesn't, you know, go well for believing her. So, I mean, it's, I, I, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if, you know, we believe her or not. Obviously, it, it happened or it, it didn't happen, but it's not going to change the fact that they're probably not going to do anything to Biden for no. it. No, but I see, I see why someone would have a very difficult time supporting him, you know, in that, in that way. And, and also have a difficult time for people easily taking a switch like myself, where I was like, okay, I'm all on board with I was all about Bernie and then the minute that they basically screwed him over and it's like a complete repeat unfortunately we're backed in a corner right now where I just don't feel like it's an option to be and it sucks and it sucks so bad you know and because of the two-party system we had mentioned you know young people increasingly are finding other people that are inspiring them outside of the two-party system. You had mentioned AOC and Bernie Sanders and their social Democrats openly. And you didn't even use the word social Democrat. You just straight up said socialist. And that, you know, it's like that, that word doesn't scare you. Right. I mean, you even mentioned. It, it shouldn't scare people. Right. Now, how much research and how much, uh, <coughs> how much have you read up on Marxism? Well, see, I, it's it's been a while since I've read some Marxist uh, texts, but I I was pretty interested in it when I was in middle school, and I remember uh, like reading stuff about Karl Marx and like the ideas of of Marxism that later became you know communism socialism. It it seems to me to be a system centered around giving everybody equal share of the same thing. It, it seems to me something that's more similar to like if you were living in a tribal community or you know, some sort of older human society where when we see humans in, in the natural world, that's the way that we behave. And, and I mean, I personally am of the mindset that that's how things should be. Obviously there are leaders that have taken advantage of this system and done really horrible things with it, just like we've seen with capitalism. Right. So, I mean, it's really having something to balance whatever it is that you're going for. Yeah, having some yeah. sort of countermeasure that's effective. I'm not super, super versed on Marxism, and I'll be the first to admit it, but I do know that there's big differences between the terms. These terms, communist, socialist, democratic, socialist, Marxist, are being used way too freely, you know, because there's very much, there's very different elements of it. 
I would consider myself to be more of the democratic socialist side of it because with Marxism, with communism, we have yet to see an example where it was okay. You know, it's never, it's never actually worked. And the problem is, is that there's still going to be power. So in, in a, you know, a group of friends where everybody's trying to decide where they're going to go to eat and everyone kind of listens to each other's input, that's, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, let's all have a, let's vote on it. And then it's fine. It's an actual democracy on that. But when it comes to like sharing everything evenly, there's still going to be the powers that be that think that they came to the conclusions. They have better answers, you know, and then, so they require more and it's just, I don't know. So I've always viewed it that we need to open our eyes a little bit. We need to like, have a healthy fear of communism and, and things like that. But we also need to have more of a hybrid situation which I think we're building towards anyways, you know, I'm doing an episode after this one, it's already been recorded. That's the, you know, the nature of the beast with podcasts, but it's about the Oregon rebate, Oregon people's rebate. And it basically what it does is it, it taxes corporations that make over $25 million a year or bring in $25 million a year. And it gives an average of $750 back to the citizens. So that would be democratic socialism essentially. And I'm totally for that kind of stuff. But I do not see a, a communism model working in America because that is not what America has been built off of. Now, the youth, I think, have a difficult time wrapping their head around it because they didn't live during the Cold War. I was really young, but there was a fear where communism was the absolute enemy, you know. So, But I hear that a lot, and I hear the argument with Black Lives Matter, that, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that they say, oh, some of their leaders have used communist or Marxist rhetoric. What do you tell people when they make that argument, you know, about that kind of stuff? Like, I mean, how do you deflect that, that you're just not afraid of it? I mean, I, I've heard that quite a bit. Um, the sort of like calling out of various leaders on the left um, and definitely specifically within Black Lives Matter of calling them Marxists. And I mean, I, I think that people need to understand that taking ideas from, you know, a, political um, philosophy really isn't the same thing as, you know, the Soviet Union. It's sure. not the same thing as Cuba. It's um, trying to take ideas from different things so that we can put something together that actually works. And I think that is, you know, what democratic socialism is in its core, it is trying to take things from both, you know, capitalism and the, the Marxist ideology and turn it into something that does work efficiently right i had a uh when i was in school to be a barber beauty school i worked with went to school with a guy and he he used to always joke about it and he said communism's like marriage it works in theory <laughs> but, but it's true so yeah what do you say to people when that's the argument that they i mean obviously you know it's difficult unless i i found that with people that are unwilling to budge on anything and they have an open conversation one of the best approaches that you can do is to get into their mind frame, you know, like kind of get into where they're coming from and then talk about similarities, you know? Uh, so what is that, what do you do in those situations if you're having that debate? I mean, a lot of times it would be with family that's older, probably. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that like, for example, like my mom, like I don't think that she is afraid of that word Marxism or communism and democratic socialism. I don't think that that scares her, but I've definitely met people like, the, I think the older that people are that you interact with, you're going to see more of that fear that like, I can't, 
you know, it's, it's bad because of what you were saying that the, the fear mongering, the what lots of, um, like propaganda. The, yeah. Yeah. Cause the cold war was something that was really freaking scary for those people, <laughs> you know, that they literally thought that that, I mean, it was a lot of, a, it was a much different thing, you know? So I want to talk to you a tiny bit about the protests and, uh, uh, you know, we talked already about cultural sides that people fall on. And now you live in Springfield, correct? Yes. Okay. And you grew up in Springfield, attended A Arts, just like Alexis, uh, my niece. And so uh, we are seeing Springfield now having more protests than I've ever seen, you know, in this, this Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, because Eugene has been known for this forever. There's been anarchists, there's been... Uh, I mean, some would call them domestic terrorists that lit car dealerships on fire in the 90s. There, there was Molotov cocktails being thrown through the Bank of America window. And there's, I, when I was your age or just a little bit younger, I watched all this stuff happen. And it was wild and it was civil unrest because it typically happens when the people don't feel heard is really what it comes down to. Now, what are you hearing from the older crowd about the protests that people are unwilling to talk about the nuances of it is that kind of your experience i mean uh starting with like you know my close family talking to my mom about it um and her more i guess conservative viewpoint on it there's this sort of like she's been trying to balance you know criticizing the police but also criticizing the protesters that have done things that are not good um, like she's talked to me about, um, like police officers that have been executed as well as protesters that have been executed. So I, I think that there's like a general kind of consensus that like there is wrong on both sides, but I think that there's a lot of people that are trying to push it towards like this side is more right though. And I don't really see it that way. I mean, I think that the, the protesting and rioting is definitely a form of expression and is what happens when you don't listen to your people mm-hmm. but there's nothing really being done i mean to to answer those concerns i mean if, if they were focusing on instead of like if they had focused on trying the police officers in the case uh the, the cases that we've seen recently right away instead of sort of like procrastinating like we've seen in a lot of cases like protecting the the person's home I think there would have been a lot less uh, violence than ensued because of it. But also, you know, I mean, you have to understand to a certain degree that the police are going to respond if there, you know, is a large gathering of people destroying stuff. Totally. And then, you know, I interviewed Trey Stewart. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that, who he's been filming a lot of the protests. I haven't listened to that one. It's a pretty good one. And I mean, I got a lot of negative feedback for it just because people didn't probably take the time to listen to it. And I talked about some of the nuances about how I'm not liking some of the framing. I don't like ACAB, for example. We talked about this off air that I don't like that approach because I get the mindset. I get what it's trying to say. It's like as if there's bad apple, one bad apple, it makes the rest of the bunch go sour kind of thing. But I think that what what people don't understand is, is that it's a job that these people like for cops, that a lot of that stuff is systematically, there's nothing in place for, for them to actually be a whistleblower. And so that's what we are calling, you know, people are calling for there to be change. Um, but I, I had talked to him about just a lot of the framing and how, oh man, it was, it was hard for me to 
to deal with the aftermath of that episode. I, I thought he he shows his bias. I thought we were very fair. And you'll have to take a listen to it. And I mean, I'm, I'm never going to stop doing this. I'm never going to stop bringing people like yourself that are not, a, a, you, know, you know, you're outside of the social norms in a lot of ways. And so I want to elevate voices like pe- of people like you because, and by, by like you, I mean different. You know, that's a huge swath of people, you know, because that's my, my goal with doing these episodes and talking to people is just let, let's hear them out because these are human beings. You know, it's really cool to hear you talk about listening from a perspective, like your parents that you admire, your mom, that you talk about, you admire her and value her input, you know, cause we're all, we're all human beings with views and it's not like we we should, we should stop pitting each other against each other, you know, and that's the thing that needs to, to change. What do you think is going to come of it with the police? Do you think that we will see, I mean, do you think the protests are working? I think that they're working to an extent. I don't think that they're working as much as they should. I, I think that um, Biden has talked about increasing funding for the police and a lot of people were really mad about that, but if you increase the funding for the police, but you put it towards better training. So instead of getting like six months of training, they're getting like a year of training. I mean, that to me, that would fix the problem. I mean, the the issue is that the police officers are not trained well enough. They're not screened well enough. So we're not, you know, getting people out that have, that don't have the mental ability to handle the job. And we're not giving the people that do have the capability, the right tools to be able to do it. You know, there's there's a saying, or I don't know the ex- exact expression, but there's an issue. I, I think that, you know, my hope is that Biden would. Hold on, you're cutting out here. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I think it's back now. Okay, we're back. So there's an issue in the Democratic Party where framing. Framing is always a disaster. I mean, even Medicare for All was a disaster. It should have just been like, you know, healthcare, <laughs> like straight up. But, but the defund the police like a cab a cab is 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 not a great experience i think it works for the certain it's motivating the people to get out and protest but defunds the police to me it should be demilitarize the police because when we stopped having officers and we had enforcers that's when we saw these problems arise now when it comes to the all lives matter crowd one of the ways that you get it through to their head is that we're against police brutality towards anyone you know you know and I'm obviously not trying to say that, you know, some people you're never going to convince that it's an issue towards black people, you know, and I know that it is. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I posted about it on Facebook about a long story that I witnessed firsthand in Eugene. But I I just feel like the demilitarization of the police force is what we need to see. And then in, in Portland, where we're seeing the federal government, you know, I said it back when the federal government is bringing in the army is, is what's happening. But I, I said it back when Trump, I was watching CNN and they said that Trump believes that he can win Oregon. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. All he's trying to do is stoke the flames of Antifa so that he could label every single Democrat. That's what they look like. That's this, this angry 19 year old kids that are, you know, spray painting and starting fires in the middle of the road. And that's your guys' friend group, your circle of friends. I know I don't know if you're at the rallies, nor do I want to promote that you are, because if you are, that's there's anonymity. It's it's interesting during a time of COVID with the masks. But there's a lot of doxing and a lot of scary stuff going on, you know. And I worry about the young people getting involved and, and whatnot. But yeah, 
especially with COVID, you know, even though there's, there's no links. I mean, so to, to, to be honest with you, I, uh, I haven't gone to any of the protests. I fully support them, but I haven't gone simply because of COVID-19. I mean, I have a mom that's immunocompromised. I cannot afford to get it. And I mean, I know that they, you know, there's been lots of conversation about, you know, social distancing at the rallies and making sure that you are keeping that. But at the same time, I mean, with all of those people together, there is, you know, you, you can't keep it super distanced. There's yeah. still going to be contamination. Well, and I think that that's a big part. I've said it a bunch. I think that's a big part of the rioting too, the destruction that we saw early on in Eugene is is because people were quarantined it's because people were cooped up and this it's like people bastardize the movement and and destroy stuff but they're not there for the cause they're not i mean and there is there is you know black lives matter is a massive umbrella there's so many different factions and organizations just like antifa it's like like we always used to joke back in the day people would be like um I'm the leader of the anarchist party by a show of hands tell me who's an anarchist. And it's like, that's not anarchy. (laughs) That's democracy, you know, or whatever, like by a show of hands, like that's not how it works. It's like, you don't have an organized when, you know, I'm not trying to compare the two anarchy to black lives matter, especially, but Antifa kind of, you know, they, they're just anti-fascist meaning that they're for freedoms, you know, that's a tough one because I think that there's now a type of person that people visualize when they think of Antifa and that's wrong because you know, who is anti-fascist is the people in world war two <laughs> is the American soldiers in world war two were anti-fascist. I mean, that, that's something that gets me all the time though. When I think about modern fascism, is the fact that America, you know, we, we fought against Germany in World War II we, and we made this whole, you know, persona about fighting fascism, yet fascism is creeping back up now. And it's, I, it, it just blows my mind. And mm. I mean, the history of Antifa, I mean, it comes from Germany, people fighting fascism within Germany. I mean, if, if I look at, um, I, I don't know how much you've researched into like Confederate flags and uh, monuments and whatnot. But um, a lot more lately, yeah. But I've been uh, looking into how, like, in Germany, they have outlawed um, the swastika. Like, you can't just walk around with the swastika displayed. But in America, you can walk around with your Confederate flag, and nobody does anything about it. That's and I a just tough one. I mean, and I hate this argument, but freedom of speech is something that is paramount in America. So the First Amendment protects borderline hate speech. I hate to say it, but in a way, because you know, this is, but see, this is, this is the issue is that they fear is that with fascism, the fear is that if you're so anti-fascist and you go so far extreme with it, that you become a fascist, you become the person that, that you're criticizing in a different way because it's a spectrum, you know? And, but the reality is, is people use that argument and then they want to throw it out. Like with, this is a weird analogy, but with COVID people like, oh my God, they're exaggerating the counts, the numbers. So therefore it's not an issue. Like it's not a real virus. Like I always tell them, it's like, even if this was made in a lab, it still exists. Exactly. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean? Like we still have to think about it. I don't know if that analogy makes sense completely, but you know, it, so we have to be careful when it comes to giving away rights to squash hate as much as it's, it's because it's a short-sighted approach. It's difficult. And I've been somebody that's been vocal about this for a long time. Now, in government institutions, there should be no Confederate flag. It makes absolutely no sense that it exactly. should be. If somebody wants to put it from their big ass truck, 
they're an idiot, but that's their prerogative, you know, and I'm not going to stop that. I'm not going to say that. Well, I don't think that we should make it illegal, not even to have a swastika on if they want. Now, in some ways, I've heard people say, let them show their true colors. I'd rather have them open about it than hiding it. You know, it's like the people that walk around with a swastika are actually not as, I mean, the worst is like the Klan covering their faces and, and you know, they're hiding behind it. It's because those were government officials, but, but still like, yeah. Anyway, Dawson, it's really cool to pick your brain a little bit and talk to you about some of these issues. I, I really am inspired by your social media presence and you're, you're, you're tough, you know, you're tough. You've got grit. It's pretty cool to see, uh, you know, but I do definitely, because I understand the nuance of the, the topics that you talk about, I do see a compassion for people that disagree. There's certain issues that are just, we're not going to budge on, you know, and there's certain issues from the right that people are not going to budge on and so be it, you know, but we'll have to find co common ground somehow and start respecting each other. I mean, it's important to have differences in opinion. At totally. the end of the day. I, I truly believe in a balance of power to an extent. If we're going to have to play inside this two-party system, you know, if we're, that's how we're going to do things, I do believe in a balance of power because like I just talked about, you go too extreme one way or the other, then you have fascism or you have, you know, communism and, and we're not okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see the younger, the, the young electorate like yourself get to be more a part of the conversation as socialism. See, democratic socialism, socialism are two different things though. Because I, I know that you're open about the terminology, but I think, and I'm speaking for you here, I think what it means to a lot of young people is they're, they're reclaiming what it means to them. Like they're not basing it off of something else. Like you had said, let, let's take principles from some of this theory and then implement it with a kinder approach. I wonder if it might be a little bit naive, but time will tell, <laughs> you know, so. I mean, it, I, I would say it's more of a, a technical terminology than a cultural terminology like when a lot of people say communism their first thought soviet union uh whereas like if somebody is saying like i believe in some of these communist ideas they're not talking about the soviet union they're talking about the written you know literature about it right if that makes sense it's a slippery slope though and i i i think that you know the two-party system as flawed as it is i mean we need term limits is what we really need because Definitely. Because if we had term limits, then you're not going to have people that are in office for 30 years that all they're doing is campaigning. And so the whole time they're campaigning. So the only things they do is cater to the people that pay them the most. And that is the flaw because then they're not actually governing, especially from the Republican side where their whole strategy is to not govern. People keep acting like, well, Trump is not appointing the state department or he's not appointing you know these positions that's by design they don't want a functioning government that's literally the goal so this is what you get civil unrest where where the people are like fine i mean i wish people could somehow just stop paying taxes <laughs> you know just be like guess what we're not paying anything anymore but that's another thing we on a different date we could talk about a cashless society and how that's a nightmare so dawson Dawson Clark, it's really cool to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. I picked a song that I'm going to play. This is an old song of mine, uh, Self-Esteem About Willie. This is me with We Are. So thanks again for doing this. It was really cool chatting with you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Good to with you too. So this is me, Self-Esteem About Willie with We Are. It doesn't matter what you live in as long as you're giving it all. Quit looking through that people.
your vision too small After it's all dismissed, I exist so I evolve Wasted time throwing fists, it's just a piss against the wall It all boils down, no use in changing resolution Just a bit confusing mess, so I suggest a revolution Rest I'm using for diluting the disputing in my brain One half of me is noise pollution, other half is lame So I strain for the rhythm, all I have and all I want is I became my decision, but the habits always taunted So I fly my dysfunction, haunted by assumption Caught up in some dumb shit, might as well cause a disruption Like go, 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 you better run, run, run Cause here come the young with a pocket full of crumbs Go, 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 you better run, run, run Cause here come the young with a pocket full of crumbs We are fighting Towards my destiny, the best of me was prevalent through evident catastrophes. I was unmasking the true identity, relentlessly acting out my misery. Was it the music or the wisdom? The reason they were quizzing me. When is the end come? The end of the fantasy, the beginning of the rest of emptiness. It's just a shallow dream. Lost my boat, my paddles floated upstream. I wrote the last note with blood and joined the losing team. I wrote the last note with blood and joined the losing team. Stutter, step your chances at self-fulfillment Cast the shadow of our America through overindulgence Surrounded by ignorance and militants Hypocrites who lack common sense Surrounded by ignorance and militants Hypocrites who lack common sense We are fine.